Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. But we want to talk about faithfulness. Now, we're coming to the last cluster of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes about. And of course, all this has to do with authentic living as believers in Messiah. And when we think about authentic or genuine living or behaving or acting out our lives, we're really thinking of this in three dimensions. First of all, there's a relationship we have that is upward in dimension or in aspect, whatever word you'd like to use, an upward thrust. And that is our relationship with God. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, with all of our mind, with everything that we have. We are to give praise to the Lord and we are to love him. And so this first cluster of fruit, love, joy, peace, focuses, not exclusively, but I do think it's legitimate to say, it focuses on our relationship with God. We're to love God and experience the love of God. We're to rejoice in the Lord and we're to experience the joy of the Lord. We're to have peace with God as well as the peace of God. And so I think it's true. If we're going to be authentic in our living we must be right with the God of this universe. Secondly, there must be an outward dimension to our life. That is, how do we relate to others? And the second cluster of fruit, patience, which is really tolerance, or kindness and goodness are meant to be most fully expressed in our relationship with one another. We're to be tolerant of one another and our differences, and we are to be ones who are act kindly and to act in a good-natured manner with one another. And thirdly, there is an inner dimension to this, the inner self. We need to be people who are faithful. We need to be people who are gentle. We need to be people who are self-controlled. So if we're to be a mature, authentic individual before the Lord, all three of these relationships need to be held together. We need to have our relationship with God right. We need to have our relationship with others right. And we need to be maturing internally and transformatively also. All three areas need to be running in consort. And that's why the fruit of the Spirit is singular. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. There's one fruit, and these are its clusters. There's one fruit. These are its aspects. There is one fruit giver. And that means all of these qualities that we're looking at, these characteristics, are characteristics of the Holy Spirit, which is another way of saying they're characteristics of God himself. 
And so if we're going to be a mature individual, if we're going to be a mature body of Messiah here at Beth Ariel, we have to be individually and collectively right with God. We have to be individually and collectively right in our attitudes with one another. We have to be individually and collectively right within ourselves. We have to help each other, not accuse each other or destroy one another, but we're to help each other to grow in our relationship in all three of these areas. Now, the Spirit works in us so that he might manifest himself through us. It starts inward in order to work outward. Another way of saying this is being is more important than doing. But we think doing is more important. So we say things like, is everything right between you and God? We say, yeah, I pray every day. It's what we do. I read the word every day. It's what we do. But what's more important is who we are inside. We ought to be saying, hey, I'm kinder today than I was. I am more tolerant today than I was. I'm more loving today than I was. What we do is a reflection of who we are. It's like that book, you are what you eat. And so you are who you are and you do what you are. And so it's important that we are becoming something rather than that we're merely doing something. Any one of us can do things and to each one of us, we may look okay. The important thing is what's going on inside with regard to what kind of person are we or are we becoming? And if we are becoming the right kind of person, we will naturally do the right kinds of things. I think Andrew spoke well on this when I was away last week or the week before when he made reference to the contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. If we are manifesting the fruit of the spirit, we will not be manifesting the works of the flesh. If we have the right character, we will naturally be doing the right things, not the wrong works of the flesh. The reason we do the wrong works of the flesh is because we've not become the right thing yet. And that's what God is working in us. Scripture says, Romans, Paul says, that we are being conformed into the image of his son. What does that mean? It means we're being made to produce the fruit of the spirit. That's the character of Messiah. That's the image of Messiah. That's what we see in Messiah. That's what he wants to see in and through us. Only after we are, only after we are what we should be will we act as we ought to be. Only after we are what we should be will we be able to act as we ought to be. This was a big issue in the Reformation. I don't want to delve too far into it, but to see that, you know, you can learn some things from these old guys that were brilliant men. And they don't have to be right about all things, but Martin Luther wrote a book called The Bondage of the Will, one of the five most important books I ever read. And it was a response to Erasmus's book called, he was a Catholic, um, well, he was a Catholic scholar, New Testament scholar, and he wrote a book or, or a treatise entitled The Freedom of the Will. And Erasmus was claiming that we are free to obey God out of the internal ability he's given to us. Luke, uh, uh, Luther was saying just the opposite. He was saying no matter how, try, how hard we try to obey God, we will not obey him. Not until the spirit of God takes control of us. 
In other words, there was a dispute over, does a person earn his salvation or is a person gifted that salvation? Do we do the right things to acquire God's grace? Or is God's grace free for the receiving about which we have nothing to do than to say, Lord, save me? And so in that argument, Erasmus said, ought implies ability. When God says, do such and such, he can only say that if you're able to do it. Luther was arguing just the opposite. Ought does not imply ability. It only implies responsibility. That is to say, you're held accountable for something, but you can't do anything about it because of our sin nature. We're still accountable for our sin nature because we acquired it from Adam and Eve who represented us. And as a consequence of their actions, we have fallen into sin. And as a consequence of our sin, we cannot properly act the way we ought to unless God takes hold of us and enables us to be the way we should be. The should be part is being redeemed. The should be part is being forgiven and having the application of the righteousness of Messiah applied to our hearts. That's what should be. If it occurs, then we will live the way we ought to live and not merely the way we might strive to live and find ourselves failing. Now, the Greek word translated as faith or faithfulness is the word pistis. And it's an act or attitude of believing. Paul talks about it. It's its most common usage by Paul. It's not its only usage. But more often than not, when he uses this word translated faith, he means the kind of faith that results in salvation. We trust God. We believe in him. But the word doesn't only mean that. It also refers not to an act or attitude of believing, but it can also refer to the quality of being worthy of belief. That is the quality by which people see in you that enables them to believe you or trust you. So pistis, the word faith, can mean two things at the same time. It can mean that faith we place in trust of another, or it can refer to that quality God can develop within us that causes others to believe in us or to trust us. That's the difference between faith and faithfulness or trust and trustworthiness. Or a good word would be loyalty. Are you a trustworthy person? Are you a faithful person? Are you a person that is loyal? And that is what the word can also mean. I think when Paul speaks about the fruit of the Spirit, we normally translate it faithfulness. I think he has two things in mind. We need to be a people who genuinely trust God, but we also need to be a people whom others can trust as well. So this is how it comes out. First of all, the reason for this is because God is described as faithful. Here are some passages. I just want to fly by you. You can write them down, but they're very encouraging to me. First of all, 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord. The reason we are believers in Messiah is because God has been faithful to us. And his faithfulness to us enabled us to be faithful toward him. The reason you could exercise faith in him and the reason you invited him into your life is because God was faithful to you in making his son known to you. And so God is faithful. That's what Paul says to the Corinthians. 
In 1 Corinthians, it says, no temptation, we know this passage, has overtaken you that is not common to men and women, to humanity. God is faithful. In what way? He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. The word tempted here means to be tested beyond your ability. But with the temptation, the word there is being lured to sin. The first word doesn't mean being lured to sin. The first word means just to be tested. But the second word is, but with the luring to sin, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure that trial of conflict. So God is faithful. What does that mean? Well, when we are tested... And when we are lured through that testing to sin, maybe it might be like my having this tooth extracted. Lord, why did you let me have a rotten tooth? And now I could be faithless toward him. And I could accuse him of not being a good God, not caring about me, not loving me. Why would you let me go through this? We can say those kinds of things. Paul is saying, God is faithful. Don't let your trials and testings bring you to a place where you will deny the faithfulness of God to you because he will provide a way of escape. Not so that you don't experience the testing, but so that you will be able to endure the testing, the pain, the loss, the disappointment. In 2 Corinthians, he says, As surely as God is faithful, our, misspelling there, our word to you has not been yes and no. It hasn't been back and forth. It hasn't been inconsistent. For the Son of God, Yeshua the Messiah, who we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, these are his fellow workers, Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. It was not maybe, maybe this, maybe that. It was not indiscriminate. But in him, this is a great passage, in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. I think based on this passage of scripture, it is wrong to be a pessimist. I realize there are people who just say I'm a pessimist. I think it's wrong. And here's why. In him it is always yes. His promises are always optimistic. Why? Because the promises of God find their yes in him. That's the key. The reason we're pessimistic is we don't have our eyes on him. We have our eyes on the circumstances. But if our eyes are on him, we'll remember his promises are always yes. He'll always bring us through. He will always be alongside of us. He will never lead us nor forsake us. There's never a reason to be pessimistic. There's only a reason to be hopeful. And to be encouraged. Because in God, it is always yes. And his promises always find their yes in him. In 1 Thessalonians, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Isn't that a great passage? Wow. Don't worry. He who calls you is faithful. He will be with you. He will do the things he says he will do. And he will give you that peace. May the God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. Never be scorched by any kind of or tinged by any kind of discouragement. 
in 2 Thessalonians, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you. He will guard you. He will keep you against the evil one. And we have confidence, the Lord, about you, that you're doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God, to the steadfastness of Messiah Yeshua. He is faithful. And therefore, we just need to be steadfast in him. He will establish you. He will bring about his most perfect will in your life. He will guard you against the enemy who would seek to destroy it. Romans, what advantage has the Jew? Or what value is that of circumcision? Now, many would say there's no value in being Jewish or non-Jewish. But that's not what Paul says. Look what he says. To begin with, he says much in every way. There's a great advantage to the Jewish people. And what does he say about it? The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. But what if some were unfaithful? Many Jewish people didn't accept Yeshua at the time of his coming, and many don't accept him today. What if they are unfaithful? Look what Paul says. Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? The Greek word meganoto is the strongest negative in the Greek language. May it never be. And so he's saying it's an impossibility. Even if others are unfaithful to him, even his own people whom he has chosen and given much advantage to and blessing, it does not nullify God's faithfulness to them or to anyone who has acknowledged him as Messiah and Lord. God is faithful because he can be relied upon, but we are to be ones who are faithful as well so that we can rely upon one another. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit is meant. Part of it is to, to be faithful in believing and trusting in God. And that's what we just saw. Why? Because of all those passages that tell us he's worthy. Now, Paul also wants us to know because he is faithful and because he lives in you by his spirit, you ought to be one who is faithful and can be relied upon and trusted in. So in 1 Corinthians, this is how one should regard us as servants of Messiah and servants of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of servants that they be found faithful. So are you a servant of God? Yes, you are, even as I am. And what is required of servants of the Lord? That we are faithful. So when we come together to worship, we need to be faithful in coming together to worship. When we are involved in the service, whether it's music or whether it's dance or liturgy or lighting the candles or attendance or greeting or setting up or taking down or bringing some uh, refreshments or whatever it might be, we need to be found faithful in what we put our hands to. You know, we want to put our hands to the plow and we want to finish furrowing the plot. We want to complete the job. And we don't want to stop in the middle somewhere. It is required of servants that they be found faithful. Hebrew chapter 11, book of Hebrews, is devoted to stories of faithful individuals like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Daniel, and so on and so forth. You can take a look at it. And Yeshua's point in telling the parable of the talents, that's a Greek term, it's a Roman coinage, A talent, by the way, in the first century, one talent represented 20 years' wages. Now, in that parable, he talks about an individual given 20 talents, 10 talents, 5 talents, even one talent is worth 20 years of wages. And the master leaves, 
And then he comes back asking, what did you guys do with the money that I entrusted to you? And the guy with 10 said, I got 10 more talents for you. And the phrase is the important one. Yeshua has the individual say, well done, thou good and wise servant. Good and faithful servant, right? The issue is not how money wise they were. The issue was how faithful they were to the man who left, the master who left. And their desire to do well by him so that whatever he entrusted to them would increase as much as would be possible. In the first instance, tenfold. The guy with five, fivefold. But the fellow with one was afraid to invest for his master. And he said, you know what? I'm just going to hunker it down, man, and give it right back to him. He's got to be pleased I didn't at least lose anything. But when the master comes home, what does he say? He says, you wicked servant. You failed to trust me. You failed to place faith in me. You failed to have a love for me so as to make what I have given you better for me than what it was when you first received it. The issue was faithlessness. We don't want to be that way with all the things God has given to us. We don't want our Torah scroll to be buried in the ground so that at the end of our days, it's still sitting there. We want to invest its words in the lives of people. We don't want, it's not a bad thing that our manure needs to be put together by paper clips because that means we are investing it in the lives of people. We don't want our instruments to stay in the case and to be pretty 30 years from now. We want them to get cracked. We want them to get damaged. We want them to have to be fixed because then we're investing them in the lives of people. We don't want our own lives to be comfortable. We want to invest them in other people. That requires sacrifice. It requires loss. It requires a giving up of some things. And thus, if it is going to be tenfold, fivefold, fiftyfold, or whatever God can do through us, it can only be so done if we step out and place whatever it is he's entrusted to us on the line to be damaged, to be taken advantage of, to be disrespected. Because in that context, there will be some that will embrace it. But if it's just buried and it's just sort of encased and entombed, when it's dug up thousands of years later, it may look all interesting and beautiful, but it will have had no beneficiary effect on the lives of anyone else. The parable of the minus are the same thing. A minus or minus was three months of salary. Master's going away for a short time. He entrusts the minuses to different individuals. And again, the same thing is, how did they invest it? How are we investing our lives and our things for the glory of God? The greatest example of faithfulness is Messiah. In Revelation, as John writes, he says, grace to you. And then he goes on to say, and also from Yeshua, the Messiah, get this, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the first one to rise from the dead and not die is what that means. And the ruler of kings on earth. But isn't that a great title? The faithful witness. The word witness is the word martyreo. We get the word martyr from it. It means somebody that speaks about the truth regarding providing evidence 
for a case that's being presented. Yeshua provided evidence for the case that he's the Messiah and that the living God is his father. He was faithful in that witness. I want to share some things with you about that. But before I do, when Messiah returns, when he comes to set up his messianic kingdom, when he comes to reign as the son of David on the throne of David, it says, then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it is called, speaking of Yeshua, faithful and true. At the front end of Revelation, faithful witness. At the back end, faithful and true. So how has Messiah demonstrated his faithfulness? And this is where we're going to close. This is going to blow your mind. It did mine. If you look at one passage, 1 John chapter 17 is uh, is Yeshua's prayer to the Father prior to his death. And in that chapter, it, it was, let me see, John 17, 26 verses. In that chapter, look what Yeshua, among the things he prays about, check this out. First of all, in verse 4, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. What kind of a faithful witness was he? He witnessed to the glory of God the Father, and he accomplished it. He finished the work. He was faithful. That's what all those parables are about. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is, to be faithful, to be loyal, to be trustworthy, to finish the course and accomplish the work God has for us. He says, I have done that. He says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me. I have made clear who you are to those that you've given me. God has to open our hearts. That's why when we become saved, we don't say, gee, I was so wise. I'm so glad I figured this out. Like it's a mystery, you know. No, 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 no. It is plainly revealed who the God of the universe is. Romans 1 tells us. That's why there's no one who has excuse. But when we become believers, when we give our lives to him, our first words are, thank you, Lord, for touching my heart. God has saved us because he gave us to Messiah. Think about that. He gave, God the Father gave you to Messiah. That's why you believe in him. Because he gave you to him. And those of us here, some who may not know Messiah, I think all of the things we go through in our journey is a process by which he is giving us to Messiah. Today might be your day. He said, I've given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and come to know in truth that I came from you. Verse 8. He manifested him, he made him known, and he gave them his word. This is how faithful Yeshua was. In other words, he's outlining for us his job description. This is what he was called to do, among other things. Ultimately, to give his life a ransom for many. He said, I'm praying for them, for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Isn't that amazing to think Yeshua is praying for us? He's praying for you. I mean, I find it wonderful when we have people come over the house or whatever, and they say, let me just pray with you, Gary. I just want to pray for you. I've been thinking about you. I've been lifting up in prayer. It touches my heart. It touches all of our hearts. But now, Yeshua is praying for you. I mean, that should touch your hearts even more. You know, I mean, if I call and say, I'm praying for you, I'm really grateful. But if Yeshua calls you and says, I'm praying for you, you say, wow, you know, and that's his call to you. He just told you. 
He said, while I was with them, I kept them in your name. It wasn't just that he manifested the glory of God and shared his word and brought them to the one who gave them to him, but he kept them for him. And I have guarded them. Not one of them was lost except the son of destruction. And that was in accordance with scripture. And he's keeping you and me. These are his marching orders. This is the faithful witness. This is the one who's faithful and true. He said, I've given them your word. He said, as you sent me into the world, so I've sent them. We can't stick around. We've got to be sending or sended. We've got to go out. I mean, I love coming together like we are. This is glorious. But we've got to go out. Why? Because the Lord has sent us and he's faithful. We can't make him a liar and say, but I'm not going. You know, he sent the 12 out. He sent the 11 and then Mattathias. They did the job of going out. And we need to go out into our community here. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them. Think of that. You have the glory of God given to you. I'm not sure what that really means. But it's meant to produce unity. We have been given glory. And thus, we are to be one. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. Here's our destiny. That scene in Star Wars, you know, I love that shot where the, the two, uh, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker's lightsabers hit in front of the emperor. And he says, it is your destiny, Skywalker. You know, it is your destiny. Well, here's our destiny. Our destiny is to see his glory. That's what's going to ultimately be our experience. He says, whom you given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. We're headed to see the glory of God. That which Moses desired but could only see a portion of. I don't know how much more or less or what we will see, but we will see perhaps something more than even Moses saw when he saw a great deal. And lastly, he said, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. He never gives up on him, his own. He will continue to make his name known to us that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them them. Is this not mind-boggling? I'm telling that's why I came this morning and said, I can't wait to share some of these things. But I'm telling you, God is faithful. He's trustworthy. And we can rely upon him. God is making you and I trustworthy and reliable and dependable. Know that it is only by the Spirit's working in our hearts that we will be this kind of person. But if he's in your hearts, the opportunity is there. We just need to be servants that are faithful. In the small things, as well as the big things. Whether he's entrusted with ten talents, or minuses, minuses, or whether one. We want to be faithful in what he has entrusted to us, because the Lord can multiply them. And do great things with a little bit. I mean, all it was was a stick a staff that could part the Red Sea, you know. It doesn't take much for God to do 
Well, he called whatever is out of nothing into being. Imagine what he can do with a little something that he's already sort of developed within us by his spirit. Let's let him do that. Let's pray. And as I pray, the ushers can come forward. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We are grateful, Father, for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for being a faithful God. Thank you for opening our hearts. Thank you for guarding us from the evil one. Thank you, Father, for making your son known. Thank you, Father, for sharing your glory with us. Thank you, Father, for enabling us to endure trials and tribulations. Thank you, Lord, for granting us gifts and opportunity to serve. Thank you, Father, for the great promise that we will see your glory. Thank you, Lord, for the presence of your spirit who can produce the very character of Messiah in our lives. Lord, I pray that all of us would not delay and we would pray and we would ask you, Lord, if need be, to forgive us of our sin that we might be cleansed and made right with you. May our hearts be open to receive you. And Lord, may our hearts be open to allow you to have control over our lives that we might do your will. So Lord, we bless your name. We praise you, we honor you, and we glorify you. And we pray these things in the matchless name of that one who is the faithful and true witness, Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, Yeshua the Messiah, the great Prince of Peace. We pray in his name. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel with a large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.